Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. So today, I want us to pray first before we get into this last message. Well, second last, Pastor Rob's up tonight for freedom in Jesus. Let's pray together, hey? Thank You, Lord. I pray right now for Your Holy Spirit to come, Lord, for us to feel Your anointing power, that as Your Word is spoken, it comes alive in our hearts and our minds and it actually transforms our lives. And I pray right now for the freedom that comes in You, that we would start to take hold of those areas that we are not free in, that we would realise we can be free, that bondages would be broken today, that any strongholds that have happened, Lord, in our lives, that we can recognise them, break them and build upon You again. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Whoa, they took the pulpit out, far out. Okay, (laughs) I had my eyes closed, which is good. Okay, so we're moving into our Christmas period. If you haven't noticed, our church has been decorated beautifully by Carla. Hasn't she done a wonderful job? Uh, take a look around because when, when you come in somewhere and it looks nice, it feels nice, it feels Christmassy, it actually adds to that atmosphere. Don't you think it's like having a nice clean house with decorations and all of that? Anyway, for this series, I've been thinking a lot about this freedom idea. And I had a chat with Pastor Chris and I won't tell you at all because of a private conversation, but <laughs> what I will say is he kind of put me on the spot. We were talking about this idea of freedom and he said, well, what do you think freedom is, Camel? Like if you had to tell someone now, if you had to say on the spot what you believe about freedom in Christ, what would you say? And I had a little bit of a pause and, and I thought about it and I thought for me, freedom, I'm gonna read it. Freedom is found in who Jesus is, knowing Him, knowing His character and learning how to live like Him gives me freedom. And I know that might seem like a very, um, I don't know, cold way of saying it, but it's not. Because when I look at the life of Jesus, I get inspiration. I realise I can live as free as He did. So I want us to understand that freedom is found in who Jesus is. We're going to look at that today. So you're going to come with me? Yes. I've got a few points. Now, these points are not exhaustive. And what that means is there are many more that Jesus brings um, areas that He can bring freedom into our lives. But the four I want to look at today are ones that are really working in my life at the moment, things that God is speaking to me about. And I hope they help you too. They start pretty basic though. And for those of you that have been in church a long time, you're going to say to yourself, I already know this. That is great. I'm glad. I'm glad you do. But not all of us know the same thing and not all of us are on the same point of our journey. So I want us to go back to basics and build on this foundation that the first thing we find freedom is in salvation. That is our first step to freedom. So all of us come in and we assume you coming through the doors today are usually saved, but I'm not going to assume that. I'm going to understand that some of you may not be saved coming through our doors, sitting in our services. And that's okay. There's no prerequisite for coming through the doors. But I wanna talk to you about if you are that person, if you have not accepted Jesus to be your Saviour, I'd like you to consider doing that today. At the end of the service, we have a salvation moment. And that moment I'll speak to you and I'll encourage you to take Jesus in your heart. And can I say to you that this will be the decision that defines your life. It can transform your life too if you'll let it. It really can. We say a prayer together as well. And basically you ask Jesus to come in your heart to save you from sin and to give you access to eternity with Him. Those are the things that a salvation prayer does for you, I believe anyway. There may be more things, but that's it in a nutshell. 
You see, salvation is a gift that Jesus gives to us. But when we open it, we realise it's just the beginning of those wonderful gifts that He can give us. You know those babushka dolls or Russian nesting dolls they're called now? It's probably a little bit more politically correct. You know how when you open them up, there's another one inside, then another one, then another one, and they continue to go. Now they're not easy to open. Sometimes a bit of twisting and pulling. And they also have an order that they go in. And I'm not going to get into that. That's a whole other message. But you get my analogy, don't you? That salvation is that first gift and you unwrap it. And then God says, I can do more than just give you this gift of salvation. Do you want more freedom in me? And if you do, this is what I want you to do. So I want to encourage you today, while you listen to me, consider these words that salvation is your first gift. It's the greatest one that Jesus will give you. I want to go to Ephesians and this is what it says. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. You see, Jesus gives us an even playing field. He says, you know what? No one's better than anyone else. When you come through that door, this gift is given regardless of where you're at. So you can't brag, you can't say, I earned this. Look what God has done for me because of who I am. Rather, He says, come through the door, take me on and I will do amazing things in your life. So that's our first gift. Secondly, Jesus gives us freedom in repentance. Now, repentance isn't a word I think most people associate with freedom. I think repentance is, it can be a dirty word. It can be something not spoken about. And it's the thing no one wants to do. It's the hard one. But there is freedom in it. And I want to encourage you to start looking at repentance as as a way of getting freedom in Christ, as a way of living in freedom. 1 John says this, But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Confession is the unburdening. That's the first part. The opportunity to admit when you've stuffed up, to go to God and say, Hey God, I did this. I'm not okay with it. So anyone that has children or you've worked with them or have even seen kids know what this unburdening can look like. You know when kids are really guilty and they just want to tell you what they've done. They just, you know, can't help themselves. The worry is as a parent when they're not telling you and you can see that and you know what they've done and you're watching them thinking, have I gone wrong somewhere here that this kid is not honest? This kid is trying to hide as much as they can. They don't ever had that with a kid thinking, just, just own up. And you're waiting for it. Yeah, that's more of a worry. When they come to you, What are they looking for? Absolution. They're asking you as a parent to say, it's okay, I can fix this or we can fix this together. I forgive you. Whatever the words are, that's what they're looking for. And I think that's an interesting thing because it's exactly what we do when we come to God with that confession. We're wanting that absolution. We're not wanting judgment from God, are we? We're asking for something more. You know, one of the only times I've seen real fear on my child's face, Alba, which is probably not great, but she's not, um, she's quite a fearless child, was when we were at a Mass once for the Sacrament of Reconciliation. And we are not Catholics, but my kids go to a Catholic school and they get to participate in some of these Masses. They, they can't actually do them because they're not Catholic, but they are a part of what goes on. Anyway, the Sacrament of Reconciliation, it's a funny one. It's an interesting one to watch. Hang on, I'm going to go down. I want to read this correctly. Alba was sitting there and she realised quickly that they called the kids up for confession with the priest. Line up, this is your confession moment. And suddenly she was all scared because she said, I have to tell him everything I've done, all the the naughty things. She was seven. (laughs) I was like, "I I don't know how many sins you've got under your belt at this stage. Maybe I should be more concerned. But for once she was off the hook 
She didn't have to do it. (laughs) Being non-Catholic, she actually wasn't allowed to. She got off that hook, but quickly I realised she was so scared to do that publicly that it was quite confronting for her. But the idea behind this sacrament of reconciliation is once you confess your sins, you get reconciled to Jesus because He's the one that's hurt most by your sins. There's actually a powerful meaning behind that. And a lot of us go, oh, it's a ritual. Yes, it is. But where it comes from is this idea of reconciling to God, to understand that, hey, God is hurt by what we do. Even if we don't feel it, even if other people in our lives don't feel it, God is hurt by our sins. So repentance is not a dirty word. In fact, it reconciles us back to God. It renews relationship. We do it every day, don't we, in relationships? We do it in our marriages, with our children. We apologise, we repent. So it should not be any different with God. Instead though, the modern church, we're not big on these rituals, like I said, but we need to be big on this teaching and the understanding of the Word, where this idea comes from. For us at Awakened City though, our belief is that this is done between you and God. We don't need a middleman. And luckily for you, you don't have to do it publicly. (laughs) Can you imagine saying, right, line up, here we go. Like there's some things we don't wanna know about people, let's be honest as well. Like just keep that between you and God. That's that's a private moment. So after confess, confession though comes the true repentance. Confession and repentance are two different things. It's just the first stage. And I wanna read this to you. I was reading an article on repentance and what it is. And I thought this was interesting. True repentance leads a person to say, I have sinned and prove it with an 180 degree change of their direction. So it's not just confession. It's actually, I'm changing now. I'm not gonna do that again. Repentance requires true brokenness. And I don't know about you, but I found that hard because a lot of time I'm sorry, but I'm not truly broken over it. There's a difference and it's a challenge. Repentance is not asking the Lord for forgiveness with the intent to sin again. And a lot of us won't be honest about that, but a lot of the time deep down we have the intent to go do that again. Now, I'm not talking about things like, oh, hurting people, but I'm talking about the, the sins of the flesh, the things you want to do. Those are the things that you have that intent deep down that you probably won't change it, even though you know it's wrong. The hardest ones to change. Repentance is an honest, regretful acknowledgement of sin with commitment to change. So it says to God, you know what, I'm committing now, right now in this moment to change my behaviour. It's a commitment between you and God that you won't go there again. Repentance leads us to cultivate godliness while eradicating habits that lead into sin. Isn't that amazing that you can become closer to Jesus through repentance. You can become more like Jesus as you repent and you can eradicate bad habits as you go. God does many things in the repentance moment. So don't ever take that for granted. When I say this, the disclaimer is we never are perfect. We're never gonna get it right. And we're going to need to repent a lot and often. If you're like me, probably on the daily, like shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have said that, probably shouldn't go there again and I'm sorry. Okay, And it can be as simple as that with God. I was trying to say to my kids the other day, talking to God is not fancy. It doesn't need to be scripted. It's a conversation, which is hard because my kids go, I don't know how to pray for that mum. Maybe going to a Catholic school (laughs) doesn't help that because everything is set. But what I'm trying to get them to understand is this natural ability just to talk to God about how you feel, to ask God for forgiveness to move on from those sins of the past and go, you know what, God and I are good right now. All right, so that was my second point. Thirdly, Jesus gives us freedom in discipleship. Now, this is one we've been talking about a lot lately. Pastor Chris mentioned it earlier. 
the freedom that comes in discipleship. And I wanna read to you from Matthew. And Jesus came at at this moment, He's talking to His disciples. And He says this to them, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There's so much in this Scripture and we often focus on the Great Commission part, which is very, very important. But firstly, Jesus establishes authority. And there's security and there's freedom and authority, if you realise this, that you say, right, Jesus, you have authority here right now. And you have authority up there where I'm going. I can have peace and freedom knowing that you've got this. You've got all of this, what I'm going through. So please embrace the freedom in Jesus' authority. This is another area where people see authority as a negative thing, that I'm coming under something. No, authority gives you so, so much freedom. So the Great Commission, why is it great? Why is it called that? Because it relies on all of us. It relies on the worldwide church. Worldwide Christians are being commissioned with a task and it is to go and get people saved. Okay, and that's a massive task. That's why it's so great, isn't it? because we're all asked to do exactly the same thing, which is not easy. If you know anything about you know, managing people, can you imagine managing a whole world of Christians and saying, you all need to do this. You're gonna get people doing different things. Am I right? Herding cats sometimes. <laughs> not you guys, <laughs> you know, of course not. But you know what? We're not to stop there. The Great Commission just doesn't say, hey, just bring them in, get them saved. It says you need to disciple them. So it's actively bringing people into our church, our homes, and then teaching them, teaching them what you know, helping them with their walk, picking them up when they're stumbling. It can be as simple as that. So essentially it says here, teach them what you know. So whatever you know now about Jesus, you can teach somebody else. And you know what, can I tell you, it feels really good to teach someone something new. And I'm biased because what I do is a job, but it actually has so much satisfaction. Now I've taught kids to read and to write and long division, if, if a kid can get that, you know, not only am I proud, I'm, I'm relieved that it's over. <laughs> but you know what, this year, can I tell you, um, like Julie, I work in an education support centre, uh, Rockingham High. So very similar environment though. And we work with kids, like she said, trauma backgrounds, diagnosed disabilities, and a lot of the time things are harder for them. Not just home-wise, but learning. Learning is tricky. This year I taught my students how to email. <laughs> and you might think, oh, it's no biggie, I taught myself that, I could attach stuff, yeah, great. But <laughs> not everyone learns as easily. And do you know what? What this accomplished for me was kids with a disability emailing is huge for them to learn that skill because they know now how to email formally. They can attach a resume. So that skill, what does it give them? Access to jobs. Because now I'm finding they can't go in a shop and hand their resume in. No one wants paper. So I have to teach them how to digitally do something. Why is a job so important? Because it gives them what? Freedom. It gives them money. It gives them opportunity and purpose. So what I'm saying is nothing is too small or insignificant. No skill, no knowledge that you have. If it can gain, give people freedom, use it. Don't think, well, that's not, I don't know enough. Yes, you do. You know that Christ saved you. You can encourage someone in their walk. You know what? It might be simple. It might be texting a friend saying, come to church today. It might be saying, hey, I'll come up on the altar with you because I know you need prayer for this issue. It might be saying, baptisms are coming up. Would you like to get baptised? It's the next step in your journey. 
All of us are on this same journey. But like I said, we're at different points and that's okay. Not all of us are meant to be at the same point at the same time. But you don't need to wait until you reach this spiritual maturity before you can start discipling others, before you can help someone. You know what? You might not be a pastor. You might not lead a ministry. You might not currently even serve in our church. But what you're doing gives people access to freedom in Christ. So don't belittle it and don't wait is what I'm saying. We all have that part to play. Do you know what? Freedom in this area also helps you grow and it gives you that freedom and growth because you can see yourself growing. Do you know what? I'm a better teacher today than I was when I first started because I've grown, I've practised it, I've gotten better as I've gone along. And I can encourage you that as you disciple, as you help other people, it gets easier to do and you become better at it. It's like anything else. So let's look at the spiritual. Can you do it? Physical skills, sometimes we can say, I can teach someone easily how to cook, but can you physically or spiritually disciple someone? Yes, but we've got to practice it. And it's not, not always easy or natural at first, is it? Oh, do I text them? Do I ask them if that's okay? Do I pray for them? Go for it. That's what I'm saying. All right, last one. Jesus gives us freedom in eternity. Now, this might be a strange one for me to go into, but it's something that I've been thinking about lately, a lot, about eternity. And I want to read with you Revelation. (laughs) Revelation, I love. End of the Bible. A lot of people think it's scary, but it gives us this beautiful view of what is coming as well. This new Jerusalem that Jesus talks about. And that's our new home that we're going to. So as I read this, can I encourage you to try and imagine it? Just try to imagine what it could be like to be in heaven with Jesus. Because I know for me, I find this hard. It's not a reality for me and it's very, very hard to imagine. So I wanna read to you Revelation 21. We're gonna go through it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all of these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practise witchcraft, idol worshippers and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulphur. This is the second death. So we know Revelation (laughs) ends on a high note. The second death that he talks about. (laughs) You imagine this beautiful heaven that's like, dum, dum, dum. (laughs) This is the second death. But what he's trying to say is we don't want anyone going to that second death. That he gives you this beautiful picture of what is accessible for all of us. And then what happens if you don't go to that beautiful place? This is your future. And as harsh as that sounds, this is what um, the picture that's being painted But the true freedom in this Scripture is understanding that God's home will be among us. God will live with us. He will walk with us physically. He'll be a presence among us. 
And for those of us that struggle with what we can't see, this is a really novel concept that you will see God, Jesus, you will walk with them and your home will be amongst everybody who's saved. Everything you've carried on earth will be gone forever. You'll no longer see death, feel sorrow or have pain. Isn't that an amazing reality to have? This is the goal, isn't it? To get to eternity. But the freedom should come before we get there too. So what I'm saying is, yes, ultimate freedom comes from eternity, but we can have that type of freedom here on earth if we can access it. Eternity is a promise of what is coming for us, but it also gives us hope for what's coming and for those who go before us. We can have faith that our loved ones who know Jesus go to Him when they die, go to an eternal freedom. And I don't know about you, but that's quite a freeing idea for me, that those people that know Jesus get to be with Him forever. That death sting is gone. And it's not the end either. And I think if we live in this world and long enough, we understand that people think death as a finality, don't they? That it is over. They never get to see the person again. I don't know about you, but like I said, I've always found it hard to imagine or think of heaven as a home, as my home. And the longer I live here on earth, I get used to things. It becomes more permanent. It's hard to imagine that this is not everything. This is not it. Is anyone with me on that or is it just me that's not? A, okay, because I'm not, people are kind of looking at me. I'm like, yeah, I need more faith, I think. And that's okay. It's okay if you can imagine that. And if you've seen heaven in your mind's eye and you can imagine that place we're going to. I just have to remind myself that the future that's coming is so much better. So, so much better. But do you know what this does? Having faith in heaven is important. And I didn't realise this until this year. I've really realised the faith in heaven is important because it allows us to have faith, uh, sorry, peace about our future and future for those that accept Jesus. It gives us two things, but it also spurs us on to make disciples. Am I right? So that no one experiences that second death that Revelation talks about. And that's what the hope of heaven is about. You wanna know the reality, feel it and actually get others to understand what they're missing out on. So, so important. Freedom is not just in the gifts that Jesus gives us. It is in who He is. I think that's important. It's not just about like a Santa figure who gives out these wonderful gifts at Christmas time. It's actually in His character and it's who He was as a man when He came to earth. And I want us to look to His life a little bit more because I think we can understand so much when we study who He was. One of the greatest examples of freedom that Jesus displayed was when He hung on the cross. You know, Jade spoke about in communion, the pain and the things that He went through for us. And to be honest, when we talk about it, it doesn't always sound like the most freeing experience. It sounds like torture, doesn't it? When you watch movies like The Passion of the Christ and you see the reality of the violence of it, the pain and the suffering that He went through, it doesn't seem like freedom. And when we say, oh, He's taken on all of your sins, it doesn't seem like freedom to me, but it was. So I wanna encourage you to look at it this way. One of, when He was on the cross, He'd already been judged unfairly before he went to the cross, that already happened. He was exchanged for a real criminal. Okay, so we already saw the start of, the writing was on the wall for Jesus, unfortunately. He'd been beaten and humiliated and then he was nailed to the cross between two thieves. So we see this, this, this stage being set for what's going to happen. He knew a painful death was coming, but yet what did he say? Forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. As he said that in that moment, the Scripture says soldiers are below him gambling over his clothes. All of this is happening and he extends forgiveness for them all. So essentially he gives them the freedom that number one, they haven't earned. And number two, that they're unaware that they even need 
These soldiers are gambling for clothes below him as he's speaking out, forgive them God. Can you imagine the freedom that comes when you understand that Jesus is suffering right now and I'm gambling, but yet he wants me not to bear that ever again. He's asking his Father to forgive. So Jesus' final moments were in displaying and establishing freedom for us. And that's amazing to me that He can, could do that in that moment. This is our Jesus, the one who endured all for us to have freedom in Him. It's a very, very powerful moment. So I want to question you guys today. And it's a weird question, but what is holding you back from true freedom in Him? So if you've received the gift of salvation... What's holds you back from extra freedom? What are the things that you go, oh, I'm not free in this area? If you haven't received the gift of salvation, can I encourage you that that has to be your first step. If you want to unlock the rest, that comes first. Being saved is the initial gift, like I said, but there's many more that we can have. And I don't think it's limited to what I've just said. So if I can be really honest, for me, what holds me back in my freedom is my circumstances, looking at my circumstances if God would just change them when I asked, then I could be free. <laughs> Isn't that naive? Like, come on, like, I just want this. If you did this for me, God, then the freedom would come. You know, that's what I'm relying on. So what are you relying on for your freedom? What are you looking for? Or what's holding you back in that freedom in Christ? You know, this morning I was challenged with a devotional. Now I've just said about what my biggest challenge was and I wrote this days ago. This morning I started a new devotional on the Advent and it talks about Jeremiah waiting 600 years before it came to pass what God told him. It took 600 years. And I was challenged because I was like, I'm sick of waiting. <laughs> 600 years, you know what? That's just unbelievable to me. But that's what he waited for. So God has challenged me even in my devotional and said, hey, you think you've been waiting. Sometimes we wait a long time and sometimes it won't happen in our lifetime, I've realised too, which is Okay. Can I tell you a story though? As, as you're thinking about what's holding you back, I'm going to tell you a story about young and shallow camera. <laughs> I was writing, <laughs> let me tell you, I was writing it yesterday and I was having a bit of a laugh at myself because I was like, this story doesn't paint me in the best light. I'll be honest. And you could, <laughs> yeah, that's my brother saying, tell it. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So you can judge me later. I'm sure you will. That's okay. But for those of you that don't know, my husband has no legs. Actually, all of you know because he likes to tell everybody at any opportunity that he has. But I thought I'd just tell you, just in case there's one random person who may not have seen him or heard him talk about his legs. It's sad, but you know, he is fine. <laughs> okay, guys, he is okay. I do have sympathy, but you know. But way back when, way back when we were young and we were dating, I had just gotten used to his disability. Uh, Bobby didn't understand it. Bobby does not see any difference between him and anybody else, which is his part of his charm. Um, but also sometimes there is a difference and I've said that to him. Well, yeah, you don't have legs. So um, <laughs> he's not here today. I love it because I can actually just say stuff without him being like. Anyway, I, I just got used to this, this idea of, of him having a disability. You see, Bobby and I knew each other before his accident. We were friends and we'd gone through a lot through the accident. And then obviously Bobby had survived it and was living with this disability, which is lifelong. So after that, he said, right, I'd like you to meet my wheelchair basketball team. And I hadn't met a lot of people with disabilities, with physical disabilities before. And I thought, I'm going to meet these young guys and they're going to be really shy. 
have the insecurities, possibly weird with girls. You know, I had I had this assumption of what these young guys would be like based on trauma they'd been through, based on their physical disability. So I just thought that was what I was going into. And can I just say, I've never met a more relaxed and free group of people. They were the most confident young guys I'd met. They were happy. They were living a full life. And I didn't understand it because their circumstances weren't good. Some of them were, might have been a year or two out of a traumatic accident and they were paraplegics or quadriplegics even. And I couldn't understand that, hang on, your circumstance is really bad right now. Your life is completely changed, yet you're full of hope for your future. You're pursuing this sport. You're happy and you're confident. So I got in the car and talked to Bobby afterwards and, yeah, I realised how insulting <laughs> this probably was. I was very naive and curious, but I was like, why? I don't understand. I don't understand. Where does this come from? This is what he said to me. He said, they're confident because it, this is who they are now. People can instantly see a physical disability. There's no way of hiding it. So they've decided to embrace it and just be themselves. I was like, okay. And he said, they've got nothing to lose. And that's how he felt too. I've got nothing to lose now. The worst thing is that could possibly happen to me on this earth has happened. So why not make my life count? I'm here. Why not make it worthwhile? So it was refreshing for me. And I think I've realised over the years that my freedom also is not dependent on my circumstance. Even though it's the thing I struggle with the most, it is happy, it's a good thing I live with someone who shows me that on the daily. That freedom is not dependent on even a disability or what you can't do. All of us have choices in how free we live. And it's not all about good circumstances. They help, they help don't they? An easy life helps. So I guess what I want to encourage you today is to think about, like I said, what holds you back in your freedom? Is it circumstances? Is it finances? Is it your health? Is it your relationships? Is it unbelief? Because unbelief is a big one, right? Because it holds us back from true freedom in Christ when we don't believe that He'll do what He said He would do. I want to go on to Galatians now. I want to read to you from Paul. Now, Paul likes a good letter to the church. We know that. It was, uh, I think he made a full-time career out of it. But he loves to encourage the church and also tell the church where they're going wrong. Have you seen all those memes lately? Like the, the modern day church would be getting a letter from Paul at this point. Yeah, yeah, it's all over Facebook. It's just the thing. And you kind of think, oh, is it that bad? Is it that bad? I don't know. But anyway, side note, Galatians 5. And it's entitled Freedom in Christ. And I love this. And he says this, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again to slavery to the law. I want to pause there because freedom is not a state of mind that can, um, just keeps existing forever. Freedom is not permanent for us unless we stay in practice with it. So I think that's important. Paul is saying, don't go back. Don't go back to the slaves that you once were because it's easy to fall back into slavery. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again, if you're trying to find favour with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. You've fallen away from God's grace. And what Paul's trying to make the point of here is circumcision was such a big cultural thing of the time that people focused on, that that was gonna keep them right with God. That if they perform that ritual, guess what? I'm right with God now. But what he's saying is unless you go to the letter of every law, you cannot be right with God. That's, that's your idea behind this. 
If one ritual is just as important, then they all are. And what he's trying to say is, no, that's not the point. You've lost the grace of God on your life, which is really, really interesting. In verse five, he says, but we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised us. For when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, there is no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. You see, Paul was saying circumcision was no longer necessary and he got a lot of backlash for it. People didn't like it. He was changing the culture of the time. In verse seven, he says, you were running the white race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for He's the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings because God will judge that person, whoever He is, who has been confusing you. So what he's saying is these false teachings were going around and people were taking them on into their beliefs, adding them in to what was already being taught. And it was actually affecting everything that they were doing, that their lives were not free. And he's trying to say, stop listening to these people. Dear brothers and sisters, if I was still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. That's massive. What he's saying is, you know what? People are more offended about not being circumcised than me saying the cross of Christ is not real. And that is true today, isn't it? We can get away with probably not preaching the Gospel of Jesus Christ, but there's certain things that people expect the church to believe and do. But yet the Gospel is not seen as the most important thing that we can preach. People don't necessarily want that harsh truth. Dear brothers and sisters, Oh, I'm reading it again. Let me pick it up. Just this part in verse 12 is interesting. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. (laughs) It's dark. Um, For if you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Please don't do that. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. So what he's saying here is, don't use that freedom that I've given you, that God has given you as a gift to go and live a sinful life. I'm free now, I can do whatever I want. I feel so good. So I can live and do and make the decisions I want to. That's not the gift of freedom. What he's saying is use it to love people, to accept people as they are, to allow them to have freedom in Christ because that's what true freedom is. And he's also talking about bewaring, beware of destroying one another, which is an interesting idea because he's talking to Christians here, which we really shouldn't be told, have to be told not to destroy each other. But obviously it's a common theme what was happening in those times. Paul is encouraging you to stay free and stay away from sin. Those are the two things he really focuses on. Your freedom can be used, it can serve other people in love because you're free, but it also sin can hold you back. What else can hold you back? We've talked about circumstances, false teachings, living by the law, only completing rituals, looking at your circumstances, unbelief. I think the list could go on in what could hold us back in freedom. And yours might look different to mine and you might immediately know what it is that holds you back. So I want to encourage you, could you keep pursuing freedom? It is so important. As the team come and join me, 
Don't let it slip away though with the cares of this world because I think that's the biggest thing. When we get discouraged, when we get down, when we don't see what we want God doing in our lives, we can lose freedom. We can lose that ability to have that perspective. I want you to allow Jesus to give you these gifts, to start asking for them. I want that gift of repentance. I want that gift of healing. Whatever it is that you need freedom in, God is able to give it to you. And today we're gonna start to pray for that. We're gonna ask God to give you these gifts for the freedom in those areas. And you've gotta understand that the gift He gives you has to be used. So it's no good just unwrapping a gift and putting it on a shelf. It actually has to be worked out and used in your life. So if God's challenging you and saying, I wanna give you freedom in finances, guess what? You have to manage those finances well. (laughs) Unfortunately, you have to be a good steward. If God says to you, I want to give you the freedom to be a good disciple, and to disciple others, you have to actually practise that and have a life that others can look to. So all of these gifts require work, but there is fun involved too, isn't there, on the journey? It can be hard, but that's why we come together on a Sunday. So we can encourage each other in these gifts. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.